1: Featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo. With your host,
2: Patrick Moran. Our biggest reflections and takeaways from the Buffalo Bills' big victory to even the record at 1-1. One one, a convincing, um, much-needed statement victory over the Vegas Raiders on Sunday Thank you for tuning in today to Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Oil Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you, as always, for locking in, whether you're watching this on YouTube, whether you're listening to this on various audio platforms. I appreciate you very much. Uh, We're taping this Monday, dropping this on Tuesday. I am joined right now by a good friend, a recurring guest, Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. You know, I kind of felt a little bit forced last week, Anthony, at least on my end, um, trying to be somewhat upbeat. It was a hard game to watch that that Jets opener. But anyway, uh, glad to have you back. And much, it's much easier to have a different tone this week. How you doing, man? Yeah, it's good to be
1: back. I mean, it's almost like how we predicted things, right? What a difference a week makes. And here you we did. are. You did. You know, but I, I think in many ways, like that's the script that you would have expected if you were looking at these two games to start the season the first one would have been a a little bit ugly bit of a slobber knocker right to pull a a wrestling term out there and you know then you looked at this one okay this is a team that you should be be better than so yeah yeah, you you would have liked to have won week one but here we are and at least feeling better today
2: yeah and we're going to get into a lot like I said um some reflection some uh Takeaways after having a, a night to sleep on it, as opposed to just you know, taping a podcast like an hour or so after a game. I kind of like having some time to reflect a little bit. I feel like my uh, my opinions are maybe a little bit more measured and maybe less uh emotional uh, in that moment. We'll get to that. So before that though, I you know, on yesterday's show, I had Tom bucks on. I'm actually gonna play a clip from him in just a couple minutes from the show yesterday because I want to get your reaction and opinion on what he was talking about. And this was regarding uh, the bill's running backs. But anyway, um, Saturday before the game, I, I got to give a big shout out to, uh, both bills, mafia, a lot of bills, fans, and a lot of content creators. There was a, a block party on main street, downtown, um, all Saturday afternoon, mainly at left turn. Um, so I did a, a podcast. There was a, a cover one show with Greg and Aaron. And, uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh bulldog from WGR, Nick Gary from GR was on. Um, Alex Brasky from Batavia covers the Bills. Catherine Fasciel from the Buffalo News. I was a guest on there as well. Um, a lot of fun. And tons of Bills fans I ran into. Guys and girls that you know and we and most people know uh, very well. Uh Del Reid, I got to talk to him for a few minutes. Um, Kristen Kimmick, of course, from Bills Mafia Babe's president there. Patrick Miller was in town too. I, I <laughs> every time I'm around that dude, the bears just start flowing a little bit. More uh, frequently, then probably would both like just made for a long day, but anyway, so much fun downtown, dude. They had so you had left turn where there's just tons of merch, like little tables set up in rooms. Um, then you walk right outside and there's a bar with DJ Milk was banging out tunes. Um, Fatty Beer Company right down the street was, was popping, Nate Gary was bartending there, that was kind of fun. And then we went up to um. Wingnuts and, and, and met up with, uh, Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. They had a live show at Wingnuts, and there was a ton of, of bills fans there. And I spent a good chunk, at least the early part of the day at Lefter and hanging out with one of your, uh, Buffalo rumblings peers, uh, Sarah Larson. I love Sarah. We spent a good hour just, um, hanging out and shooting the shit and talking. She's, uh, she, she's definitely one of my favorites. Ran into Jay Spence and, and Sterling briefly as well. So it was up to those guys, but, uh, yeah, I a really cool vibe and, uh, that's what I love about this city. And I know you don't live here, and I didn't for five years. But that's like to, to me the coolest part about living in Buffalo during Bill season—just being able to go to things like that. It was a really good time.
1: No, it sounds like it was a great, uh, a great time, a great vibe. You mentioned Wingnuts. I sort of perked up there. It's like I'm I'm trying to pressure them to to open a location out here in Albany. <laughs> really, I am mean, like you would corner the market. You would have a line out front each and every day, but. You know, you mentioned some of the folks there and uh, again, talking about Dal and Pat Miller and Jay Spence and Sterling and Sarah, like it it goes on and on. Right. There's just folks that have that sense of community. And I think in, you know, you don't get that in every NFL market. You don't get that in every sports market. But to get that with this group, to be able to do some of these things, Jay Spence had put together uh, an outing at Resurgence Brewery. I went there too. I was there. Yeah. So, you know, you pull all those things together to think that so many people coming together for the home opener, like that's that's pretty special. And it's it sounds like it was a great time.
2: It, it was a great time. <laughs> Shame on me for getting to talk about resurgence when I just gave you my spiel. Yeah. Um, I did make it there with Pat Miller after Wingnuts. Now, to be fair, a little bit, you know, kind of like borderline three sheets to the win uh, at that point. I didn't get there in time for the podcast because, like I said, I met up with Matt and Ryan. And, um, and a bunch of people went to that. And then we shot over to resurges. So that was done, but I did get to spend it. I've met him before and I've had conversations with him. Matt Warren was there. Uh, the, the, guy you know, kind of runs, uh, a Buffalo Brumley's. He bought a case of whatever the Barry lease is the new one. Yeah. Bought a case to take back. He lives in the Rochester area, um, to, to bring with him. So anyway, I did have a conversation with him, but yeah, real quick, circling back to Sarah Larson, I I, I got to say this. I don't think, I mean, she does get credit. So. I'm not going to say she doesn't get credit, but what she does to me is just absolutely fascinating. And for people who don't know, she's going into her third year now where Sarah goes to every single Bills game home and away. Now that in itself is one hell of an, you know, an accomplishment and a, and a thing to be able to do with your life. If you, if you got the time and the, and the money and the job to be able to make that work, that's awesome in itself. Um, but, and, but there's a, a smattering of, of Bills fans who do that. The difference between Sarah and all the others is that everyone else lives in Buffalo or the area at least. So, yeah. you know, in eight or nine of these games on the schedule are a home game where Sarah has one home game per year. She lives in Florida near Fort Lauderdale. The Miami yeah. Dolphins game. Is there like one home game where she doesn't hop, have to hop out of flight or have to take a very long ride somewhere? Every game in Buffalo is, is a road game. In terms of travel for her, so she comes up to all the games. Um, just a sweet person, really knowledgeable with football. I, I love her, man. And it was a, uh, yeah, like I said, it was a really good time. And 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 uh, I just I, I'm amazed by what she does. Her dedication, you know, to this team, going and traveling as much as she does, crazy in a good way. No, it's remarkable. I mean, you
1: just think of the the hassle of getting places. I mean, it's just you know, air travel is not something uh anybody enjoys these these days and for her to be able to do that going on three years that is pretty remarkable
2: yeah it really is it really is so anyway all right let's dive into um sunday's game i want to start and there's so many positive things where we can and we will hit on today um and we'll get to a lot of them but i actually want to start with the running backs I, i thought that the running game was stellar on Sunday. And it wasn't just one guy. It was three. Here's what I want to do. I want to set this up because I want to get your reaction afterwards. I got a clip from yesterday's show. Um, Tone Pucks was on with me. And a lot of people don't even know who Tone Pucks is. He's not really on Twitter. Or he barely is. I should say he doesn't have any followers on Twitter. So most people don't really know him, but it's one of my favorite sports guys, somebody that I've known for 35 years. I grew up with him. Anyway, he had a take on the Bills running back usage On Sunday, it's about a good two, two and a half minutes. I want to play this, and then when we come back from that, I I want to get your reaction and your opinions on what he was saying. So let me play this clip from uh, yesterday's show, and then we'll be right back. Loved, loved the running back usage
3: today, man. Those stats that you rattled off, all right, for running the football, we may have had, uh, you know, days like that over the course of the last few years, but how many of those days were a product of probably, you know, 60 to 80 of them being by way of Josh. Yeah. All right? Not the case today, man. We had uh, we had our main back over a buck. Yep. And unlike last week when I think something that we weren't terribly critical of, uh or anybody was terribly critical of, maybe they 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 felt a little surprised by it. I I know I did, but it was the the primary usage of Cook. You know what I mean? Like it was a lot, yeah, of James Cook. And today, whether or not you know it was it was built in and and something that they wanted to do going into the game, but today it wasn't that. Uh, all three guys, all right, all three that I think we like a lot, um, had roles. All right, you know, Cook goes for the hundred. The other two both get touchdowns that mattered. Yeah. All right. They got touchdowns that mattered. They got yards that mattered. They weren't bullshit garbage time yards. Right. All right. After they were already up thirty, and it was like, all right, let's bring Latavius. Let's now we're gonna spell James Cook. Bring in you know uh, Latavius Murray, and that's where Murray goes and gets his you know his ten for thirty-five. Nah, it was during the course of the game. All right, when things still mattered, Latavius Murray. Was huge on that, albeit very short drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to to get on the board, um, and then and and then Harris, uh, you know, had very meaningful snaps in very obvious Harris tight, uh, you know, uh, places on the field. Um, and then that doesn't even get to the fact that your your RB one ra- rattled off a, a buck and a quarter. So that to me was a, just a really really interesting. And encouraging uh, sign, not for people who want to see you know four receiver sets and a ton of Josh. Right, right. Yeah. There's guys who love that shit still want them want this team to live and die by it. Um, but man, if you're gonna carry the three of them and all of them seem to have roles and 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 still you know some uh, some tread left on their tires, man. um I got no problem with uh, with th- this type of utilization of three running backs.
2: All right. So that was tone plugs from yesterday. Talk about the bills running backs ran for a, uh, a buck 83 on the ground, 228 yards total from scrimmage of offense. Uh, I want to get your take on that. Just the usage of all three guys and the bills having an efficient running game and maybe not having to rely on chucking it all over the place. Although Josh did throw for 37 times as well, but what's your take on that?
1: No, I, uh, I enjoyed it during the game. Yesterday, and I agree with what Tone said, even looking back to week one, uh, I thought the Bills should have used Latavius Murray earlier in the game against the Jets, right? Mm -hmm. Because 6'3", 245, like that punishing back when, you know, the way that game script was, it seemed like he would have been a bit more fitting than, than James Cook last week. You know, again, hindsight, 2020, everything that was going on. But to see it yesterday, I mean, one, you've got guys like Harris- and Murray that can catch the ball out of the backfield. So it does not make them one-dimensional, but they're certainly different than James Cook. Cook was great yesterday. That was fantastic. But, you know, even early on, you see that run on first down, that run on second down, that first possession where the Bills went three and out, and you start to scratch your head a little bit of just like, okay, are we doing this to just kind of establish the run, for lack of a better term, Um, but right, like just to kind of get going into the game. First drive obviously did not go well, but then you saw it just as things started to chip away to have those physical backs. And Harris and and Murray, again, are those two? I like that element to the team because honestly, it's less of Josh Allen having to take those big hits. And you've got these bruisers that can do that for you.
2: It felt to me like later in the game, James Cook just had a lot more juice. You know, like um, maybe just Murray and Harris not just being productive and having a role, but just also keeping Cook a little more fresh. I just kind of felt like, no, of course the Raiders at that point might've also just been defeated and running for the bus, but it just felt like he had that extra juice. He did a really good job of getting to the outside. Didn't really need a lot of blocking for holes, which kind of leads to the next point. And I'm pleasantly stunned at how good the Bill's offensive line is. And it needs to be said, Going into this game, I asked Tony this yesterday. I'm going to ask you this. And we kind of spent last week kind of lamenting still over the Jets game. Didn't really, we spent a little bit of time talking about the Raiders, but not a whole bunch. But I feel like if I were to ask you going into this game, what besides the Bills shooting themselves in the foot over and over again could lead to the Raiders beating Buffalo? I'd be willing to bet one of your first answers would have been. A superstar player like Max Crosby just taking the game over, right? Oh, certainly.
1: I mean, listen, there are guys that can be game wreckers in the NFL, and Crosby is certainly one of them. And you talk about the Bills' offensive line underperformed in week one. Spencer Brown is an easy target, right? When we talk about performance, you know, no matter who he's going against. And to his credit, he stepped up as big as anyone did during the game on on Sunday. And, you know, hey, maybe the team did a little bit, having you know, Dawson Knox give a little bit of help here and there, chipping. But, hey, it worked. And even when Brown was with him one-on-one, he did a good job of helping to keep the pocket clean. And I think to that extent, you know, the game script worked, not just from the running back standpoint and what they were able to do, but right with Josh Allen not holding the ball too long. You know, because, listen, someone going up against someone like Crosby, you can only keep them at bay for so long. Sure. Same thing last week, you know, you talk about that Jets defensive line like you can only hold a pocket for so many seconds before there's eventually going to be a breakdown. So yesterday everything really seemed to work and and again, a big credit to Spencer Brown. He takes so much abuse from fans when he doesn't play play well and it's, you know, it's kind of the nature of the beast right in the position that you play. Um, but he deserves all of the kudos from Sunday's game.
2: I am going to be, I'm looking forward to to looking at the uh, all 22 later on when it's available and also kind of uh, check it out the PFF player grades. I'd be stunned if I don't see on film and, and graded that this might have been considering who was in front of him, maybe Spencer Brown's best game of his career. If it's not the best game of his career, it's one of the most encouraging signs because, again, you know, just Max Crosby's a guy who can make life hell for you on any given uh, Sunday. There's only a handful of pass rushers in the league who have that ability, and he's certainly one of them. And I also want to give credit to uh, whatever combination it may be, whether it's Cromer, whether it's Ken Dorsey. Um, there was a lot of help, too. You know, a lot of chipping with Dawson Knox or, or Kincaid, I noticed. I don't know. I have the snap counts in front of me. but I know and Morris got some looks, too. And primarily that was to line up and help block and make sure that Max Crosby, uh, didn't rule the game. I just, and the whole offensive line played great. Want to hear a fun fact, not one penalty on the offensive line for the entire game. Torrance got called for holding, but it didn't count. It ended up being offsetting foul. So the play didn't end up counting that aside. Uh, not no false starts Not from the line. Kincaid had one, but no false starts, no holding penalties, blocking in the back. Um, it was just a a really good game from an offensive line, and kudos. One more thing, uh, Connor Mcgovern. I thought he was a disaster against the Jets, and he was great, even worse than I thought he would be. I thought he played very well, as you know. In addition, so a really really good outing for the offensive line. I thought that was big.
1: No, and everything came together. I, it fit with the game script. Again, right? I, I'd like to look at week one and just say that's a little bit of an anomaly, right? One of those. Days where things just were not working right, and this was more of what it should be. The game plan was in place. The offensive line did what they were supposed to, and everything else after that worked. Right, yeah. relatively yeah. quick passes from your quarterback. The running backs got going. All three of them got involved. If the offensive line isn't doing what they're supposed to do, none of those things really work. Right. And this week it worked. And you know, and again, at at home, emotions will be high. It was loud at Highmark Stadium. Like. You know, it would have been easy to be a little bit too up, to be a little bit too amped, and uh, they did a great job.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, should we talk about Josh Allen at some point in this podcast? I, it feels good to be able to to have things to talk about on a positive side that really had very little to do with the quarterback. The running game's great. The offensive line plays great. Josh Allen, after having. Well, we're not gonna say the worst game of his career against the Jets, but we're we're gonna say one of the worst games of his career. Certainly, in my opinion, the worst game in terms of emotions for him and body language, and it just he just looked and and felt defeated. It was like this is not fun. He didn't look like he was having any fun against the Jets. Yeah, total opposite on Sunday, man. Crazy ass Josh was back, smiling, Josh flexing, talking some shit being involved emotionally in the game in a positive way. It was, it was all uh, fun to see and the stats 31 to 37, 274 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, that's the, what, what, what do we call it? Good Josh. That's good. Josh. um He played great. What, what's your take?
1: Yeah, he played great. And it's interesting too, because you do hear some folks after the game and even talking the day after a little bit of just like, Oh, you know, they were really reining him in and it's like, yeah, maybe a little bit, right, with certain things that they were doing. And you say, oh, taking what was given to you. But, you know, what do we use the term? Arm arrogance when it comes to Josh.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That touchdown pass to Khalil Shakir, the touchdown pass to Gabe Davis. Like, okay, fine. They were only a couple yards. There is, like, two people on the planet that can complete the, that pass, right. right, that can can make that movement with their body in a pocket that's sort of collapsing – look like you're gonna take off running, take a step back and as you're moving backwards, fire a dart to Gabe Davis, right? So it's not always of like, oh, let Josh be Josh, where he's hurtling people or, you know, airing it out 75 yards down the field. Sometimes it's just a little bit of seeing something that nobody else does. And he was he was on. I mean heck and again, you go to yesterday, first series, right? Three and out, two runs to cook. Allen gets flushed out of the pocket, doesn't see digs, runs out of bounds. You're just like, okay, I guess at least he didn't try to do something stupid. But immediately you're thinking to yourself like, oh, man, is this going to be that type of a type of a day? Well, what? He completes his next 13, his first 13 passes in a row. Um, I don't care what's going on, how long the completions are. 13 for your first 13. That says something. And he was dialed in and he looked good.
2: Also, the throws you mentioned, chiquette. I had, uh, I saw the replays. I appreciated it even more. Like he kind of stopped and was flat footed and the guy was barreling in and he hit him. Another throw, he threw on the digs where he literally made a full throw, like then held the ball back and then cocked it and just saw digs open and uh, made a perfect throw to him. Yeah, it, it was fun to watch, and he took whatever you want to call it, took what the defense gave him, but he didn't make any mistakes. Look, when you're the better football team, don't beat yourselves, you know? Right. And when Josh was playing like that, they're never going to – the Bills won't beat themselves when Josh Allen is playing that type of football. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't need to throw – he did throw the ball downfield once and It was a passing, he got a pass interference call. So, like, the yardage wasn't there. The catch technically in the stat box isn't there. But the only time he chucked the ball deep the whole game, from what I can remember anyway, was to Stefan Diggs. And it drew that pass interference penalty inside the five yard line. Um, Slung a nice pass, a 19 yarder to Gabe, who we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And that was on a free play. I don't know. I just, I, I really liked his game statistically, I liked his decision making. I liked his body language. I just liked the way he felt to me uh, like he was in the game. And again, let's, you know, so much bashing with Ken Dorsey and I get it. You know, he's the guy. He's just, there's always one or two people in an organization on a team. You're always going to blame for everything. Um, Let's give Ken Dorsey some credit because I thought, I thought the game plan was pretty good. I thought the game plan was pretty good against the Jets. And I think Josh just went rogue. You talked about that a little bit last week yeah, and you know what, And Josh was doing a good job.
1: He was distributing the ball. And again, whether that was Josh, whether that was Dorsey, combination of all these pieces, um, right? Because the week before it just seemed like, man, it's it's got to be digs or it's it's nothing. And you saw, you know, a good day from Kincaid, uh, what I thought a, a great day from Gabriel Davis, right? I mean, Khalil Shakir catches a touchdown. You get Dawson Knox with a touchdown. I mean, it doesn't always have to be the stat line, but just to see that, Listen, there's so many guys that you can get the ball to. And of course, that doesn't even include the pass catches from the running backs. You, you just got guys that can make plays for you. And, you know, as we talk about it, I don't recall any drop passes during the game on Sunday, like just a, a level of concentration where they seem to be locked in. I'm not gonna go in far as be like, hey, you know, week one was a good thing. That was a wake-up call or whatever, but there was a different level of focus that came on Sunday afternoon, at least from from my eyes. And you know, if that's what it took to to ground you a little bit, maybe
2: they'll be better for it in the long term. You may be right, though. You might, <laughs> maybe you're, you're not willing to say that, but I I think that's not wrong to feel that that maybe long term, what happened in week one ends up being a good thing. Maybe Josh definitively learns that he's got to kind of like quote unquote stick to the script at least a little bit and not go rogue or. You used the Ted Lasso reference last week about, you know, the memory of a goldfish having that, um, maybe that was an ultimate, that embarrassment uh, and primetime football in front of the world. was a lesson that he has to take away that might long-term, um, benefit. You mentioned receivers, not dropping any passes. And I, I I agree. I, I can't remember, um, any drops as well. Here's another fun thing about the game. Um, on Sunday. Now there was one play where, Um, It it was a penalty, so it didn't count where the pass would have been intercepted, but it was a penalty on the defense. Aside from that, you know, sometimes stats can be misleading. There's a lot of luck involved. A lot of times, you know, corners or safeties, linebackers, they'll drop easy interceptions. So you don't end up seeing that when you look at the stat box after the game. I don't, in fact, I don't think, I know. Josh didn't even have an interceptable ball. Like there wasn't even a pass that like a Raider got two hands on the ball and you're like, oh my God, he should have had that. You know what I mean? If you're a Raiders fan. He wasn't even throwing balls that were, like, even interceptable. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that.
1: Well, and like you mentioned before, the the shot that he took to Stefan Diggs drew a pass interference. I mean, it was blatant, right? I mean, it was one of sure. those things where you're just like, hey, yeah, if you're going to take a shot, that's okay, right? It's along the sideline. You're not throwing into double coverage. Like, Diggs had a, you know, enough of a step that you can do that, and things work to your advantage. So it's – yeah, it's – it's just nice to see right i mean you can take a step back and say like god this is this is what it's supposed to be but it actually was and it feels
2: nice it does and by the way i'm so happy with sean mcdermott sunday his hat that he was at on the sidelines i actually had to go out and uh get that on sunday and if you're watching on the video side i got it uh sport on the show today you mentioned gabe before we get to a break and then we'll talk some defense and get to our finish the sentence segment that we do every episode um yeah. Look, I was singing Gabe Davis's praises all summer long. I think I even had an, uh, an episode titled Gabe Davis's dominating training camp. I thought he looked better at camp than I've ever seen in terms of not just running long and catching the ball, but his hands looked really good. His, his route running looked good. He was catching a lot of slants over the middle, moving the chains. Talked about that a few times. Didn't really get opportunity against the Jets. It was one of the things that I was probably most pissed off about from that opener, but, uh, he was a focal point in this offense in, uh, in week two against the Raiders and man, oh man, did he ever respond? Six grabs, 92 yards and a touchdown. Um, a really good touchdown, a tough catch to make in the end zone on a great play by Josh. Like you said, he made a great hands catch on that 19 yard, uh, free play, so to speak. Just caught a couple balls that were, that were tough catches and he caught the ball and he got down and he got some tough yards after like really physical, the big play on near the end of the game as well. When he broke free, um, just, yeah, it, it was a great game from Gabe Davis. And as much as I love Diggs, and he kind of goes under the radar when he has games like yesterday, which he was really good in the running game and stuff like that. But Gabe Davis playing like he did yesterday to me makes his offense. It's most lethal.
1: No, it's when they are at their best. And we've talked about it. I'm still at some point expecting a contract extension for Gabe Davis. I hope that it comes soon enough. And, you know, and that was one of those games too. It was a great game for him, but again, not one of those eye popping like video game statistics. Like the expectations last year were just so off base six catches for 92 yards. That's, you know, not to say something you expect every week, but it shouldn't surprise anyone
2: I'm back with Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. Like I said at the top, a much better feeling to uh to talk Buffalo Bills today. Look, I'll be objective. Uh, sometimes I, I'm I'm closer to being too harsh, maybe, than than too team friendly at times, but I don't make it a secret. I want the Bills to win. I'm a big fan. I watch the game as a fan, and uh it's just a better mood, it's just a better vibe uh when the Bills put together. Mm-hmm. A game like they did on Sunday. So we spent a lot of time talking about offense. I guess maybe we should talk about a defense that pretty much has been uh borderline dominant over not just this week, last week too. The first two games, this defense has been great and is being led by a, a defensive line that is just terrorizing. Um, you know, these first two offenses they played. Ed Oliver. Um <laughs> I've been critical of him. I still think he's a little too splashy and streaky. But yo, know, call it, it It is what it is, man. He has been unbelievable these first two weeks. Dequan Jones, big. We'll talk about Dequan in a second. Let's start with Ed Oliver. Um, gets yeah. the big contract. I like what I see, Anthony. I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I I like it a lot. I like what I see from Ed Oliver.
1: He has been a menace, and it's funny because you said a little too splashy, and you get that part, right? You want a level of consistency, Mm -hmm. but it's also when you look at your line and you think to yourself, you know, Daquan Jones does give you that consistency. Gregory Rousseau, incredibly consistent. Shaq Lawson got a lot of playing time on Sunday, another consistent piece. So if you've got three guys that are going to be that consistent and one can add a little bit of splash, all good by my take, right? And it was interesting because even that first drive – as bad as it was for the Bills, that first play of the game, I mean, Oliver just blows up his man five yards into the backfield and yeah. just with one arm reaches out and levels Josh Jacobs. I mean, it was, it was not even like you're almost thinking to yourself, did he trip? Cause he went down that hard. And it just was no, Oliver was just pushing the man back in. They collided, got his left arm around. And you're thinking to yourself, like, man, you you know, you see one or two of those plays a game. That's a game record for you. And he really, uh, you know, at least set the tone against the run from that very first play.
2: You know, going back to the podcast that I did on Saturday, the pregame podcast with the guys from Cover One. And yeah. I was sitting next to Bulldog when uh, they were going through and asking for everybody's predictions. And, and Bulldog said, I'm paraphrasing, him, but only a little bit. He predicted that. There were going to be a ton of callers on the radio post game calling him to talk about Jacobs having a, a buck fifty rushing in a two touchdown Bills victory. Meaning that he thought the Bills were going to win rather comfortably. But the the story, of, you know, the the bright spot for the Raiders would be the success of Josh Jacobs. Dude had minus two rushing yards for the game. He didn't even have zero rushing. He didn't even get to the positive side. Of the rushing yards, that's how great the Bills' run defense was on Sunday. Ah, uh, Greg Rizzo again. Stats can be so mis mis uh, misinterpreted. He had, he doesn't have a sack through two games, but find me a better defensive player on the Buffalo Bills through two games than Greg Rizzo. He missed the sack by a half yard. He get the guy fell forward for a half yard. Garoppolo, but um, setting the edge, getting to the quarterback, just making plays, disrupting things. Greg Rousseau has been, we were calling him a, you know, a potential breakout player in year three, throw the stats in the garbage because he's been a breakout player so far through two weeks for the Buffalo Bills for me.
1: I love when you talk about Greg Rousseau every time, because I remember back at the end of the 2021 first round of the NFL draft, one o'clock in the morning recording with you and you were so like, what are we doing to yeah. play this and that, all these pieces, like all of his sacks, they weren't this and that. And, you know, and just being like, so now to hear you into year three and each and every time that we get a chance to talk about him, to to hear how this guy has, has made that jump. And listen, I'm busting your chops, right? But, y- you know, you go. Through oh, you're right. Cast- it was easy in that draft to look at things and to not be excited about the pick, just based on how the narrative had changed with him so much. And now here it is, and just this guy, six foot seven, just a beast. And I think he did get credit for a tip pass on that first interception that went to Terrell Bernard, like with he the did. huge long arms that he has. Just um, you know, it's funny how uh Greg Rousseau and Terrell Bernard. Combined for a great play on uh on Sunday. I'm I'm guessing we'll talk about him in a little bit too. But you know, when you talk about a guy to bring an element to that defensive line, because we already know Ed Oliver's a little bit undersized, that's fine. Well, you make up from it because you literally have this giant playing defensive end who just continues
2: to do amazing work. I'm glad you brought up that specific play that the Rizzo got a tip on with the interception, which by the way kind of leads to uh my point that Daquan Jones, I I think, was a huge disruptor as well. It was his pressure on Garoppolo that forced the quick throw. That Rizzo got his finger on and popped up, and then Jarrell made a, that you know a really um excellent athletic decision. In fact, I, I was pulling this up while you were talking. I I want to read this. This is a tweet that I had after the game, and I genuinely believe this. And it's hard to think of a singular play when you when you win by as, as much as Buffalo did. But to me, this is the play that really turned the game, and for that reason, I thought this was a player of the game, or a play of the game, I should say. Let me read this. This is my tweet from uh, Sunday. For me, the singular play of the game was first quarter. Bills down seven, nothing, and DeQuan Jones pressure leads to a great interception from Terrell Bernard that settled down Buffalo after opening Raiders touchdown and subsequent Bills three and out. Bills looked shaky early, then that play happened. So the Raiders go down the field, they score. Bills three out. You talked about it earlier the two runs, Josh running out of bounds. Boo birds, even out a little bit. You heard the booze at the stadium. They punt. Raiders get the ball. Like, oh man, what's going on here? And then that play happens. Daquan and, and Rizzo, Bernard all make plays and it leads to an interception. Bills tie it up. And, and then that's the Buffalo Bills team that we've come to know over the last few years. That, that was definitely one of, the, if not the biggest, certainly one of the biggest plays of the game, right? Oh, certainly. I mean, up
1: until that point, the game felt a little uneasy, right? You said you heard, you heard the booze in the stadium and it's just to that point and kind of to what you made earlier, too. I mean, it is a game of inches like, hey, that ball gets tipped. If if Bernard doesn't catch it or there's a little bit of a scrum and it falls to the ground, it would have been nobody's, nobody's fault, right? He made a nice play on it, but that just completely shifted the momentum from there. Bills go down, they score, and the game never felt like it was in doubt after, after that play.
2: Let me, uh, l- let me talk about Terrell Bernard for a second. I'm going to give myself some credit here because so many people, when you don't like a player, you will double down, triple down. You will always look for the negative thing to find in that game to just make yourself seem like you're right. I despised the thought of Terrell Bernard being the starting middle linebacker for the Buffalo bills. I think he's undersized and, and Still is <laughs> undersized. But anyway, he didn't play in the preseason. He didn't win the job. Tyrell Dodson and Bale Inspector lost the job. I still feel that way. But as critical and as harsh as I've been at Jarrell Bernard, I thought he played reasonably well against the Jets. And I thought he played really good against the Raiders. That wasn't an easy interception. That wasn't one of those, the balls tipped and here it comes right into my uh, arms. He would yeah. go get it. It was a great play. It seems like he's shooting gaps well. Uh, we'll, we'll watch the film this week and, and look what the grades are, but it seems like he's doing a really good job in pass coverage. I mean, he, he, the Raiders didn't hurt him with you know a lot of over-the-middle passes. I think Terrell Bernard is earning his keep. Let's just say that. I'm still worried about him against some teams that are going to be able to run the ball good and just get a big guard on him and maul him. But to in fairness, to be objective and fair, I think Terrell Bernard has been more of an asset to the Bills right now than a liability so far.
1: Well, and it's, listen, it, you know, as a, a young player, it's given him the opportunity and to play through some mistakes, right? And you saw some of that early on against the Jets last week, um, but that's okay. I mean, he he's doing what he's supposed to do, right? And that, I mean, you get the splash play with the interception yesterday. That's great. That's a big, a big plus. And listen, I'm not going to be one to be like, oh, let me compare him to to Tremaine Edmonds, but over the years, one of the biggest uh, criticisms that Tremaine Edmonds would have would just be like sometimes those interceptions falling through his arms, right? Not being that guy that was very sure-handed, something might hit him and drop to the turf. So you see that with Terrell Bernard and you're like, okay, maybe this is a little bit different. Maybe there's some things he's not going to do as well as Tremaine Edmonds did certainly, but he might bring a different element to the position. And at least through two weeks, it it looks like it's been pretty solid despite, um, you know, I can make fun of you, but like all of our reservations around him being in that position, like seeing how he does. And so far, so good.
2: Hey, man, right tackle, middle linebacker, the two positions where, you know, every, not me, almost everyone's been most critical or at least skeptical, I should say, pessimistic a little bit going into the season. Um, At least on Sunday, I I thought both were actually uh, positions of strength. And his linebacker battery mate, Matt so good. He's almost, to me, like the Stefan Diggs of of the defense. He's just so good that you find all these other talking points that we talk about, you know, with Josh at the running game, offensive line, you know, this and that. You almost take for granted just how good he is. (laughs) That interception, he just literally took it from Jacobs' hands. I I just love it. It's on pace for 17 picks, too, this year, by the way. I have no idea how he made the
1: interception. I mean, still okay. even looking at the replay, watching it a couple of times, it's just this, the, the timing, everything. And again, it's not that Jacobs is this, uh, you know, a water bug type of receiver where you could just see Milano overpowering him. Quite the contrary to that. Matt Milano is so good. And again, we're, we're talking through two games, so it's a, a limited sample size. But there was part that you could look at things and say, how is he going to be without Tremaine Ed? Mm -hmm. Right. Edmonds was, again, not a a fan favorite in many ways, but you're thinking now you have this different component. You don't have somebody next to you that's six foot five with an 80 inch wingspan that can, you know, cause havoc in a different type of way that allows you to do what you do. Um, And at least through two games, he looks as every bit as good as he ever has.
2: Yeah, I'm just... I'm continuously impressed by Matt Milano. Like I said, him, Stefan Diggs are just two guys. You got so many, you know, things that could go one way or the other, but those are just two guys that are as reliable as it humanly gets. Um, Anything like and for you, like takeaways that maybe we, we didn't really talk about? You, you did mention Kincaid. I didn't have him in any of my notes. Um, Five catches for him. Certainly looks the part. Um, I, I like what he did out there.
1: Yeah. I think the only thing we didn't talk about was just, uh, I mean, really Stefan Diggs, right. Which, you know, you, you still go through and what was it? Seven catches. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big game. You you talk about the pass interference. Certainly that was a a huge get that does not show up in in the stat sheet. But I mean, here's a guy that it's just, you know, I was impressed that they weren't just forcing the ball to him too much, but here he is with 17 receptions through two games. Like, just as reliable as they come. And almost to the point where it's like, gosh, do you almost feel that he's – not that you take him for granted, but almost a little overlooked because it's just – he gets open so often. And I don't want to say effortlessly because you know there's so much effort that goes into it, but it just looks effortless when he is out on the field. And it's just – for all the time we spent talking about it in the past – it's just it's it's great to see him
2: having such a fantastic start to the season. Seventeen catches in two games—not <laughs> a not a little bad start to the season. He's well, he's got the, between a buck sixty to a buck seventy receiving yards and a and a touchdown. Yeah, the, a lot of twelve personnel again. I don't know how much. I don't have this. You know, again, I don't have the numbers yet as we're taping this. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of twelve personnel for the Bills. It seems like that's going to definitely be a thing in terms of worries. Only two things. I wrote down, um, I'm a little bit concerned. We didn't, it it didn't materialize enough, but the secondary is at least a mild concern of mine right now. Um, Benford did some good things, but, uh, got beat a couple times. He got also got away with what absolutely should have been a a long pass interference penalty, completely got away with that. You got to admit that. I was like, yo, look at the TV. I still have
1: no idea what happened. I like what, what happened? I, I, you know what I mean? Like watching the game. It's just what part of you looked at that and said, I'm picking up this flag. I don't understand.
2: It went from, he caught the ball anyway. And it was pass interference to there's not pass interference. And then it was real, not a catch. I was like, whoa, if I was a Raiders fan, I would have been losing my shit. But anyway, yeah. Christian Benford. Looked a little susceptible. Um, Trey White didn't get beat bad. But again, there were, let me say this too. Devontae Adams is one of the best goddamn receivers in the right. world. He's going to make Benford and Trey White and Sauce Gardner and everybody look stupid at times. He's just too good not to. So again, let's have some context with this. But yeah, I'm still a little bit concerned uh, about the secondary. And I hate saying it. I am. just one person, I am concerned about at this point is Jordan Poyer. He came up in some run support, did a couple of good things, but man, it's just I don't know what it is, and if maybe the age. It's just his feet feel heavier. Like it, the the speed just doesn't seem to be there right now, and we're going to find out soon because teams are going to catch on this and they're going to test them.
1: Well, and, and a couple of thoughts related to that. I mean, one when you were making the point about Devonte Adams. And Sal Capaccio from WGR says it all the time. You know, the guys on the other side are getting paid too. Right. Yeah. So it's like it, it's not that you're, you know, you're going to give up some plays. You're not going to have this perfect defensive performance uh that that comes through. And I try to remind myself that even during yesterday's game, you know, a couple of times with Benford seemed a little bit out of position. One time where he slipped and gave up a catch to to Devontae Adams, where it's just like, Okay, you know they're not gonna they're not gonna skunk them on offense that they right. don't get any yeah. any catches or or nothing happens here. Um, I think when you talk about the the secondary, when I when I say I have a concern about it, it's a little bit when you go up against. Well, I guess I'll just say, it. you know, you're playing the Dolphins in two weeks, and you look at Jalen Waddle and you look at Tyreek Hill and you look at who those guys are, and it's just a little bit of you know not to say that you're going to put too much stock in a regular season game but those two guys are going to put up some numbers they always do and it's just uh you know i think that will be that first true test to just say like hey are these guys looking old or do they still have it and it just you know it takes a couple of weeks to to settle in i hope it's just that you take a couple of weeks but you know, I should say this too. Tyreek Hill makes a lot of people look bad yeah. on a football field, right? So it's like you try not to, to
2: overreact to anything there either. You got to, uh, I'll tell you what, in two weeks, they're going to catch the ball. Hill, Waddle, they're going to catch short passes. Sure. And that's where you got to have speed and close and be able to tackle in the open field. So if the Bills secondary is a concern, we're legitimately going to find out two weeks uh, from now. And then the other thing, and then look, when you, when you win 38, 10 and you're being critical of things, you're kind of almost getting like to nitpicky territory. I understand that. Um, and again, stats could be missed. They can be deceiving. I should say no sacks again, Jimmy Garoppolo did he gets sacked. He almost did once by Rizzo and he got pressured sometimes, but, um, he, had, he, he was a little bit too comfortable for a lot of his dropbacks uh, in the pocket. I, I would like to see the pass rush be maybe just a little bit better. Um, again, it, it wasn't bad, even though they didn't have any sacks. But I'm not thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo or Zach Wilson, man. I'm starting to think about Pat Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow and a lot of these quarterbacks that they're going to be facing this year. They're have to, and Vaughn Miller will be back, and it's going to make a big difference too, obviously, hopefully, assuming Vaughn is back in a close to 100%. But, yeah, the pass rush wasn't great on Sunday. Let's just say that. Yeah, I,
1: I guess maybe I was a little more optimistic about it than you were. I mean, looking at it this morning, the Raiders only played, only had 40 offensive plays in total <laughs> on Sunday. I don't ever recall a time looking at snap counts from a game and only seeing 40 plays, right? I mean, that that is one of the lowest totals I've ever seen. I thought the pass rush did some good things. Honestly, I thought they should have called a uh, – They should have called Garoppolo for a safety in the second quarter when he threw the ball away. When he was in the end zone, there did not seem to be any receiver insight, and that was to to my – again, I don't understand the rule well enough, but I thought there was a chance there. No one seemed to be arguing for it, so whatever. Um, But I thought there was enough pressure that was put on him, hands in the air, that he really didn't accomplish much other than that first drive of the day. I mean, you – You know, you can't say like, oh, you take that away. But you remove that first drive and the last drive where they're just getting some garbage runs. um, I mean, it was like 100 yards of total offense. Like, yeah, I
2: I was good with how they played. All right, I'm going to take a real quick break here to let local wrestling fans know that on Saturday, September 30th, Buffalo Championship Wrestling presents the Big Fall Bash. This event takes place at the Arlene Mahalu Community Center located at 82 Harrison Street in Buffalo. Event starts at 6, doors open at 4.30. On the slate, current NWA star Aaron Stevens, formerly known as WWE superstar Damian Sandow, will be there meeting fans and signing autographs before the event. In action, you'll see BCW, WNY Heritage Wrestling champ, Rockstar Robbie Vegas, the new NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, EC3. Mad Dog, The Calamity, Delson Alexander, the tag team of the Buffalo Bad Boy, Brian Jennings, and Bulk Nasty, Invincible, Vance Valor, and much more. For tickets and info, be sure to visit bcw-wny.com. Again, that's bcw-wny.com. And follow Buffalo Championship Wrestling on all social media platforms at bcw All right, before we uh finish up with our regular finish to set this segment, real quick here. um I like when when it's only Tuesday when this drops Tuesday, YouTube will be available um on Monday night w- when it gets to this point of the week, I'm still in the mode that I'd rather kind of enjoy or, rel- or you know or lament the Sunday game as opposed to spending too much time looking forward to whatever is coming next. but washington I- I'll tell you this maybe a couple of weeks ago. And then you look at the schedule, like this is a cake game. This is a, an easy win. Washington's 2-0 man. And they, uh, they came back from 18 down to beat Denver on a uh, Sunday. This is a pretty formidable team with, uh, with, with a pretty good defense, man, a pretty good pass rush. So if that offensive line who looked good against the Raiders, you know, if they look like they did against the jets, the jets, Washington kind of has that similar, uh, you know, a front four that could really hurt you, man, with chase and, um, uh, they're on pain. Smites has sweat. There, there's some good players on that Washington defense.
1: Yeah, there are some good players. I mean, I don't think it's a team that uh, the Bills won't take them lightly. Right. And I say that because Ron Rivera is the head coach and Sean McDermott, we know, you know, truly respects the guys that he's worked for. Sure. in the past. you know, Rivera and Andy Reed. My only concern with it, honestly, is just like, you know, don't show them too much respect. Right in some ways, like you have a clear advantage when it comes from a talent standpoint. Like, get them down early, keep your foot on the throat, and just put the game away. Don't you know? You don't have to be disrespectful or any of those pieces, but just from that standpoint, just don't show your mentor too much respect. Go out and get that victory on Sunday.
2: Yeah, they got uh, they sacked Russell Wilson seven times on Sunday. Get right. ten sacks, so they're. Their first three games. So a very formidable defensive line. Brian Robinson Jr. is a good running back. Um, Sam Howell had good stats. Look, you're playing Denver. You're not playing, uh, you know, Kansas City or uh, or Cincinnati or Buffalo. So uh, maybe I'll hold off a little bit, giving these guys too much respect. But hey, 2 0 zero, two 2 0, man. And um, Sam Howells looked pretty good. They can run the ball. Be a funny Bills are six and a half point favorites right now going into the game. So anyway, yeah, not a. I don't think it's the cake game that maybe some people might think it's going to be, but it's certainly a game where the Bills are going to walk on the field on uh, paper, uh, you know, as the better team. But I'm sure yeah. you, you, know, you'll be talking about on rumblings, you guys, all week long. And uh, I'll head on, I'll get more into Washington starting uh tomorrow. Let's finish up with our weekly Finchins, finish the sentence segment. I say it all the time. It's just a, an opportunity for people watching or listening to get to know a little bit more about Anthony. Uh, and myself beyond just you know what we think about the Buffalo Bills or what's going on um, with sports. Usually, I have a graphic up on the YouTube side, but I don't today, so I'm just gonna have to read these off. Scale of one to ten, my social media addiction is probably a blank. I would probably say a seven, yeah. and that's within my
1: own eyes, right? Sometimes if you get on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, you know, there's some folks that literally are tweeting or, or up providing updates throughout the entire day. Um, I am not that guy, right? Sometimes it's like my my newsfeed or you check in on stuff. So I, I think it's safe enough to to give it a seven. I mean, there's pieces of it that you do for your, your work, pieces with your family, sure. and then pieces that are just your own personal. So I'll stick with a seven.
2: I'm going to go a solid eight. And in fairness to people like you or I, you know, a lot of times with Twitter and stuff like that, we're tweeting, whether it's our own episode stuff or you're retweeting, you know, your colleagues or talking about stuff that they have up, uh, you know, tweeting during bills games. At least I do anyway. You know, I guess my way of staying engaged with the people who follow me. So I think that's all fair. I don't, you know, I don't think that's any kind of like addiction. That's to me, that part of it is part of the gig. Um, I the reason why I don't have myself as a nine or ten is because I have made a conscious effort. Like if I'm having dinner or conversation with my wife or if we're on the porch having a cup of coffee or something, I make it a point to not have my phone or at least not sit there and look at my phone. So in social settings, if I'm you and I are out having a beer at the bar, I'm not gonna sit there every two minutes and be tweeting or you know, I might take a selfie of us, you know, at some point or check us in on Facebook, things like that. But like I don't go overboard in social settings, uh, with my social media. Sorry, but I noticed this yesterday. This kind of led to one of my questions, one of the questions that I got for you today. I went to the bathroom and when I went to the bathroom, I didn't have my phone on me and I had to get up and go get my phone to go to the bathroom. Like at the point where like, I can't go to the bathroom without having my phone on me. 'Cause it's I mean it's the perfect time, I suppose, to you know, check your social media and stuff like that. But the fact that I physically felt like I couldn't go to the bathroom and use it without having my phone on me. I was like, you know what, this is a little bit of, a little bit alarming at least.
1: You know, you're you're safe with an eight. Like I like I said. I mean, you don't want to be one of those guys like, Oh, there's always somebody somebody worse than you, but it's
2: like, yeah, you're You're okay, man. (laughs) All right, next one. A streaming service I currently enjoy using the most is blank. Amazon Prime. Um,
1: It's interesting. It just seems that more and more, and and it's not even like I'm really watching any series right right now. I mean, there's things I do on Netflix and Apple TV and Disney Plus, but uh, Amazon Prime seems to be more of a go-to between Jack Ryan, uh, The Boys, which is a fantastic series, definitely a bit twisted, but um, Primo, which we've talked about before on the show, Mm -hmm. um, and even just the movies that they've had available, like uh, the documentary air with, not documentary, but the the film air with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon about Nike and their pursuit of Michael Jordan. There just seems to be better movies that are part of Amazon Prime that I'm finding on the others. So for me, that's been my go-to as of late.
2: I guess I have to ask you for a ruling a judge's ruling on this one because I do pay for it. I get YouTube Premium. Am I allowed to use YouTube Premium? Basically it's just YouTube but you got you pay for it and you don't get I mean, any it's, ads. It's streaming, so sure. I am streaming and I stream it I use it on my TV all the time. It's YouTube for me. In fact, it's to the point now, honestly, Anth, um other than say a Bills game or Sabers game or an occasional specific show, I barely watch television anymore. Yeah. I use a lot of streaming services, but for me, I am always on YouTube. I am playing and li- I've gotten to a point now, and I hate admitting this because I'm an audio guy and not a video guy, but I consume more of my podcasts now on YouTube than I do uh, on uh, audio. I still listen to some on audio, like when I'm walking and things like that, or like I said, on the porch, walking around with my headphones, but I watch podcasts now, like all the time. I watch Joe Marino's show almost every day uh, Joe, you know, Joe Miller and John, some of those guys at Romney's cover one. Of course, you know, I watch a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of wrestling talk shows and, and videos, obviously music. I, you know, I have some music mixes and stuff. I'm on YouTube probably 80% of the time now when I'm l- watching anything. Then yeah, so, that's definitely your choice.
1: I'm still, I'm still like podcast in, in podcast form every once in a while. I'll, I'll do it on YouTube, but traditionally that is, um, whether it's your show, like, uh, again, Joe Marino or, uh, Perino and, and Ryan Talbot, you know, yeah. maybe I'm looking to, to listen to something and it's not in podcast form yet. Right. They drop it on YouTube first, but I'm just listening on YouTube. I'm not sitting there watching it. So
2: I, I, uh, I like listening more. I always, and I still maintain that it's better to listen to a yeah. podcast. The audio is always better, you know, on the audio side, obviously, but anyway, all right, two more here. An arena or stadium you'd love to see a game at is blank.
1: You know, and this one was interesting. I, I kind of spent a lot of time thinking about it because, um, you know, I guess I've been pretty fortunate in life. I've been able to go to a lot of places to to see a lot of games. But the first one that really came to mind would just be to to go see a game at Cameron Indoor. Uh, on the campus of duke university to to see a basketball game there um, i've been at the facility but not for a game not for anything along those lines and just to to be on that campus and think to yourself like gosh i've i've seen so many games on television i'm not even a duke fan in any way way shape or form but just uh, a place that is so iconic uh, a bit of a throwback as far as the facility goes to me that was the first one that came
2: to mind you know, this isn't my answer, but you say that and it makes me realize I, I think college sports, basketball, football, at least anyway, you know, the atmosphere is better than professional sports. You know, I went to Notre Dame game <laughs> last year in South Bend and holy shit, the atmosphere, as great as it is to be at a Bills game, the atmosphere in Notre Dame is even better just yeah. the college setting. Um, I'm a lifelong Yankees fan. My answer is actually the new Yankee stadium. I have not been to a game. 2008 was the last year before they uh, went into the new stadium. And I went a couple times in 2008, but I've never been to the new stadium since it opened. And that's been 2009. So I have not been to a Yankees game in 14 years. That's actually inexcusable if you're supposedly a real fan like I am. But um, yeah, I've never been to the new Yankees stadium. All the tradition from the old stadium. I, I grew up, I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up in Buffalo, but I was born in New York City. My family's from New York City. Yeah. I used to go to Yankee games all the time as a kid. And like I said, all the way up to 2008 when it closed, but I've never been to the new stadium yet.
1: That's surprising. That's one I, knowing that you're a Yankees fan, but I would have just assumed that you would have
2: would have gotten there. I'm fraudulent because like Matt Perino, Sal Capaccio, these guys are going to the stadium literally every year. So um, maybe uh, I got to be better. All right, last one here, kind of sports as well. My favorite pro sports uniform of all time is blank.
1: God, I wrestle with this one so much because it's like, you know, growing up, I wasn't so much of a uh, a uniform guy, right? And there's some things even where I think back to it now, part of me was going to say like the Montreal Expos because I love the the pinwheel hat look mm-hmm. that they had. Or even, uh, you know, growing up, I was really uh, a huge Cal Ripken fan and just the old school Orioles hat, right? Again, with kind of the white front and everything that looked with that so clean, I found myself going to so many different baseball uniforms that then it just became hard for me to decide, and and then it sort of clicked in. It just listen as a, a kid, really growing up, those formative years during the '90s, just those classic red and black Chicago Bulls uniforms, Michael Jordan, yeah. Scottie Pippen, right? And it's and again, it's probably even less about the uniform and more just bringing you back to the feeling of putting on wgn each night my dad sitting there watching the introductions you know michael jordan coming out and just being captivated by what took place but just such a clean look um yeah it's just it's iconic from the jordan brand to the sneakers it just again so very impressionable would have been easy to pick some other things but once that thought popped into my head couldn't go anywhere else
2: you know what i thought that my answer was going to be corny and in some ways it still is until you elaborated on yours and then i realized my answer is not corny because it kind of brings you back to a, a time and place and mind frame of your life and by the way i'm really like the chicago bulls that uniform would be really high um on yeah. my list too this is the most basic of ones but the bills just played them on sunday the old school but the black jerseys the black and silver with the silver helmet of the Raiders. When I was a kid, I thought their uniforms were so badass. I thought all the guys who played for the Raiders were so badass, in part because of those uniforms. And by the way, back in those days, they were badass, a lot of the Raiders. Um, I grew up actually obsessed with the Raiders and, and asking for Raiders gear all the time for my birthdays when I was a kid. Then I got a little bit older. I'm like, what are we doing here? I live in Buffalo. I'm going to be a Bills fan. My dad was pretty cool. He never tried to force me to be, actually he was a Giants fan before a Bills fan. But um, yeah, when I was a kid, dude, loved the Raiders uniform and I still do. And I know there's so many fancy uniforms out there right now that are so much cooler. But to me, just the old school black and silver uh, Raiders is what I got to go with. So Raiders for me, Bulls for you, too old school, semi old school, but they still kind of wear them as well now. But um, yeah. That, that that's my answer. Old school, boring, but uh, reminding me of a of a time in my life.
1: No, but it, you know what? Again, you 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 could go down such a rabbit hole of kind of memory lane when it comes to to all mm-hmm. of that, right? And you just think back. But again, I think so much of it takes you back to where you were at that stage in life, and less about what the uniform actually looked like. Yeah, for sure.
2: All right, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Make sure you follow Anthony on Twitter at Anth Marino. Check out Breaking Buffalo Rumblings and all the stuff that Buffalo Rumblings has to offer. Shows like quite literally every single uh, night of the week. Look, Bills fans, man, enjoy the win, you know, and don't get too hung up on Miami in two weeks either because the Bills have a worthy opponent. On Sunday, that uh, they need they need to get ready for in Washington. But anyway, thanks as always. Thanks. Let me get this right at the end. Thanks as always, Anthony Marino. It's great to have you on, Bud. Always a pleasure, Pat.